morning. I will be reading from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18 and 23 through 24. Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It is so high above me that I can't reach it. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wind of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. Even there your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said the darkness will definitely hide me, the light will become night around me. Even then the darkness isn't too dark for you. Nighttime would shine bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. My bones weren't hidden from you when I was being put together in a secret place, when I was being woven together in the deep parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my embryo, embryo, and on your scroll every day was written that was being formed for me before any one of them had, ha- had yet happened. God, your plans are incomprehensible to me. Their total number is countless. If I tried to count them, they outnumber grains of sand. If I came to the very end, I'd still be with you. Examine me, God. Look at my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. Look to see if there's any idolatrous way in me. Then lead me on the eternal path. This is the word of the Lord. So much. Did a great Thank you, Victoria. You did a great job. And Pastor Jennifer, why am I standing here? You did it all. (laughs) No one's going to remember a thing I said after all you've done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have one one thing up my sleeve, but that'll wait till later. How often have you and I thought about the question, who really gets me? Who knows me? Who understands me? Um, I think if we're honest, we often think that, don't we? We often think that even the people closest to us, dearest to us, don't really get us. No one really knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the really, really ugly about us. Those are things we hold very closely. And only those who get caught in some awful thing they've done um, are the people that 
we know what the, you know, what the bad thing is. Most of us have secrets. And as we've seen in this summer series on Psalms, we have learned that we worship together and independently, and as we praise God and our Creator, we do so with a sense of new presence, of new hope, of a, the idea that our God wants us to flourish. Our God doesn't want us to carry bags around full of our worries and our anxieties, our past failures. Our lives matter to God, and if we ignore it, it's to our own peril. If we can grasp that, and as the psalmist David said, it's almost too much to grasp or understand, and often we think it's too simple, but it's not. We matter to God, and as Christ followers in community and persons independently walking with Christ, we've been created to be in relationship with God, both independently and as a community together. We are better when we are together praising and lamenting, weeping, and acknowledging that our God is incredibly worthy of our praise. We grow from that. So today we look at Psalm 139, one of my most favorite psalms. It's a psalm that reminds me of how intimate God's knowledge is of us. And, you know, the garbage bag again showed that. God knows what's in our bag of worries, our anxieties. We don't often tell even, even our, our spouse or our best friend some of the worries that we have. But God knows and God loves us. So I want to tell you a story that surfaced a few years ago that reminds me of how intimate God's knowledge is of us, how important we are to God, and how much God loves us. God's amazing grace and knowledge to me in hearing this story um, was, was really significant. This reminds me, this story reminds me of how we're so unaware of God's work in the larger picture, of what is going on all around the world and in that spot between heaven and earth, that thin place, they call it, where God's spirit is working. We sometimes say God is opening and closing doors that we're absolutely unaware of. Well, there was a young doctor and his wife who wanted children desperately. Yet within a few years, a serious illness for both of them had taken away their ability to conceive. And at the same time, there was a woman who traveled to their city to give up a baby that she could not keep. This woman one night, desperate and alone, incredibly desperate and alone, uh, grabbed the yellow pages of this city's phone book. And she went down the yellow pages like this, and she just kept looking and looking. And she came to a name, and she stopped, and she decided to call that doctor's office the next morning. This is the one person who knew that this other young doctor and his wife could not conceive. These two people had been in medical school together. Now, you tell me about picking a name out of the yellow pages. 
Well, <clears throat> he called, uh, the doctor called them after the baby was born and said, you know, I have a little girl. Would you be interested in still having a baby? And of course, they rushed out, bought what they could, put it all together, and in two days they were able to bring this little baby girl home. Well, most of you know by now that little girl is me. You've probably guessed that. Um, I was born May 1st, so my parents always say that I was in a May basket on their porch. But the interesting thing is that I was unaware of the workings of God during most of my life. I wasn't the perfect adopted child. As a teenager, once I told my parents, I wish you would have left me in an orphanage. It wouldn't have been as strict as you are. You know, how I wish I could take that back. But I didn't understand until 40 years later how God was acting on my behalf and how God had connected the dots. More later on that. In Psalm 139, we're reminded that the greatness of God touches my life, and God knows us. The greatness of God touches my life and your life and our lives together. And God knows us. God knows you and me, and God knows First Free Methodist Church. And God has plans for us to flourish. This all-knowing and loving God knows me and has searched me and knows things I barely understand about myself. And David said, such knowledge is too wonderful, it's too deep, it's too amazing, it's too mysterious to even begin to understand that. David said, I cannot attain it. Would you be so gutsy as to turn to someone near you and say, God really gets me. A little louder, I'm not hearing that you're doing it. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. So David prayed, understanding that God had a personal understanding of who he was. The pagan, pagans in that time often thought that their gods were indifferent and hostile to humanity. So right away we see the difference in our God and the gods others were worshiping. It's not just that God is everywhere. It's that we are not alone. It is not just enough that God created everything, but God created you and me and us. One author says that any small thoughts that we may have are magnificently transcended by this psalm. Yet for all its height and depth, it remains intensely personal from the first to the last. Here's the deal. God does really get us. God really does know us. God really does love us. And, you know, maybe you're one of those persons who's moved to Seattle and says, hmm, this Seattle chill is pretty tough. You read the articles and the studies on dating in Seattle, on making friends in Seattle. Now, we have a jump up on people because we have community. But a lot of people don't feel like anybody knows them or loves them. And I'm sure some of those folks are here this morning. 
all of our postures, all of our practices, all of our gestures are known by God. When we walk, when we stand, when we lie down, God is there. I don't think we often enough think that through. Because if you're like me, you're pretty independent and you can kind of do it yourself. And it's not really till you've tripped or fallen or made a serious mistake that you remember that you need God's help. But isn't it interesting that the person we turn to when we come to God already knows our weaknesses and our frailties. And if we were in better relationship, we probably wouldn't have had to make those errors. Jesus in Matthew 10, 30 says, God knows the numbers of the hairs on our head. A famous preacher talked about divine knowledge. And you know, it's this deal about this knowledge that especially for you and I and people in our culture who are, you know, well-educated and again, independent, it's really hard to understand the mystery of this. A famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, wrote that divine knowledge is perfect, not even an unspoken word. You get that? An unspoken word can be hidden from God. Now, that couldn't be really kind of creepy when you think about it. When somebody knows you too well, you don't really enjoy that often. You know, maybe... Luckily, I have a loving, supportive spouse, but... I know people who live with people who constantly um, second-guess them and want to know, you know, that's not what you were thinking. That's not why you did that. Well, we are in relationship with the God who knows all and does not judge us, but has grace for us and wants us to be flourishing. It relates to the altogether and wholly known it speaks of the love of a parent. And I know many of you, I, I, I see you and I know you out there. You've been parents and you know what it's like to stand by when your child makes a mistake. First time, second time, third time. You continue to love that child even if they are not exactly living out what you dream for them. You pick up the pieces with them. You hopefully work towards healing with them. And I think there are times when the second and third chance is even a deeper experience because we again are representing God who like the, um, the father in Luke who brings his child home and back into the union of the family um, the prodigal son who comes home, that couldn't be a more beautiful picture of the flourishing of relationships together and with our holy God. God knows our story and God sees us with love and knows the big picture. The all-present God in verses 7 through 12 remind us God pursues us. I'd, I'd like to read those for you. 7 through 12. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. And if I went down to the grave, you'd be there too. 
If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me, and even there your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said the darkness will definitely hide me and the light will become night around me, even then the darkness isn't too dark for you. Nighttime would shine bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. Have you ever been in the dark? Have you ever felt like you're in a foreboding situation where it feels dark even if it's not? There's something about this scripture that reminds us that even when it's dark, there's hope outside of this picture. <clears throat> this reminds me of a true story, and I'm going to be careful here because we have children in the, in the room, and I'm work, I worked really hard when I thought about this to try and not uh, frighten anybody, but I want to tell you or remind you about Phyllis Sorter, our own missionary who's, who works in Nigeria and who has been here this summer worshiping with us. February 23rd, 2015, uh, Phyllis uh, was at her school, one of the schools that some of us have been to and prayed over. She was at one of the schools that she runs she dreamed of, she has allowed it to happen. Free Methodists from around the world have supported her. And she was at this school, a school built for the Fulani tribe, nomadic herdsmen who are on the very edges of uh, society in Nigeria. They're not wanted, they're not educated, they're not, um, they're not welcomed in communities. And Phyllis has a dream that these children in particular will have an education and that they will know Christ. They, their religion, their chosen religion is, is Islam. But Phyllis has been working, I'm trying to think, Joe, how many years has she been in Nigeria? I don't know where you are, Joe. Oh, she's out there. Six, seven, no. Seven years? Well, okay, seven years she's been in Nigeria um, working to bring forth education, health, and now she's working in agriculture with the Fulani so that they can have a new life. And while she's doing this, she's teaching them about Jesus. And Philip, Philip, Phyllis believed, as I said, a long time ago that this is what God had for her to do. Well, when she was at this school one day, she was kidnapped. And these men who picked her up and took her away had thought that um, they could get some money for kidnapping an American. And they also, you know, if something worse happened to her, so be it. They didn't like that she was teaching Christian things to the Fulani children. And if you want to read more about this, probably a lot of you have this, The Kidnapping of an American Missionary. This is a great book. Joe can tell you how to get a hold of it. Joe Lewis is her sister. And Phyllis grew up in this church. They grew up missionary kids, and then Phyllis came here at 16, and she's one of us. And I, I wanted to tell you just about a dark night that she writes about 
A few days into her kidnapping, she is out in the woods. Uh, the kidnappers hope that they're so far into the forest that no one will know where they are. And there are a bunch of um, men around her on the rocks, all around, uh, staying for the night to watch her. And it's been one of those days and one of those evenings where uh, if she hadn't grown up living with scripture and believing the promises of God and had not filled her mind and her heart with the hope of Christ and with how much God loves her and is with her everywhere, she would have been in a very dark place. But she uh, came to a setting where she found a rock that she could lay into, and she calls it the cleft of the rock. There's a space where her whole body could get into this space. And she could hide her face, and she asked Jesus to help her be hidden there. She falls asleep hiding in this cleft of God, and God's imaginable, unimaginable presence surrounds her giving her peace when there is no human way she should have had peace. None whatsoever. There's just no way. Uh, I probably would have already had a stroke before I ever got that far into the story or a heart attack or just fallen over and said, take me. Um, but we are the ones who lose, as I said earlier, when we cannot believe that God is with us. And it's because we haven't spent enough time with God. And of course, I want to address the fact that this is a deep mystery. We can't quantify it. We can't explain it. It's not black and white. And there are plenty of times when we are disappointed, when things don't turn out the way we want, when God may not work the way we envisioned, when the things we hoped for and prayed for didn't turn out the way we wanted. But I'm standing here today to tell you that the promise in Romans 8.23, all things work together for them that trust God, is true. It may not feel like it right now, but it's true. And we know that when we have given ourselves to God, there's something going on around us. And you'll see in a few minutes a piece of art that I am just beginning to really cherish because it shows to me what, what is happening. So back to my story. Three years before I met my biological mother and family, in my spirit, I started to be disturbed and I started to be, begin thinking about this whole deal of adoption, about this whole thing of, um, and believe me, each of us have our wounds, each of us have our questions. Mine probably was, had something to do with, well, my parents loved me, I was given everything, but who didn't want me? You know, there's just some of that and everybody's story is different. But what happened for me was that I started kind of having this on my mind all the time and I found some paperwork, we call it my sales slip, uh, but we, we found this paperwork that that my folks got from the hospital that had my mother's, all of her vital statistics and information on it. It should have never been given to my folks, but it was. So I sat on information that I knew is the kind of thing you go into a court 
to get unlocked. I had it. Many things happened over three years that kept pushing me back to thinking this one thing. I kept thinking that God wanted me to tell my biological mother, I didn't have to do it myself, in fact, I wasn't planning on it, but that I should let her know that God took something sad and made it okay. And I chose a, a, an attorney that knew my parents really well and that knew me really well. He'd see, he had seen me in leadership, and uh, I had been the president of a board he was on, and he worked with adoption, so I chose this attorney. It took three years, and believe me, um, I kept questioning myself. I kept thinking, okay, you're about 38, you're starting into some sort of midlife crisis, and you want to know more than you know about your life. So you're probably over-spiritualizing all this. What makes you really think God told you to do this? And I'm a sociologist, so I know that usually when you come into a family like this, it's not a good thing. You don't find out good, positive things. Um, it's, a hard, it's a hard road. And if any of you are here thinking or have experienced this kind of a thing, I just say, wait until you really know who you are. I, I asked permission from my whole extended family. I didn't want anyone to think this was something that uh, would say to anyone, you're not good enough, this hasn't been okay. But this is what I thought God was saying, and boy, did I try to get out of that one. But God's timing is always good. What I found out later was that at the same time that this started happening in my heart and spirit, a Christian half-sister in Texas had, under, had heard the story in its fullness and had begun to pray that I would surface so that our mother would not live with the guilt anymore that she had had for 40 years. She had been brokenhearted to realize that her mother was living with this very sad thing. <clears throat> so what I found out was that I had two amazing mothers one who cared enough to give me up and give me a better life, and one who gave me all that I needed to become the person that God created me to be. I've had the privilege of meeting my maternal side of my family, and I met wonderful, loving people who told me about their lives, their struggles, and the fact that I'm the one that was lucky. I actually had one of them tell me, I'm the lucky one. They also told me that I looked just like my mother at that age and that I was who she would have been if she'd had a chance. All I can say is, when I heard, I'm the lucky one, what do I do with that? Again, it's too deep. It's too humbling. But somewhere out there, for some reason, God was working on my behalf at this time. So I was given a wonderful Christian home. I was raised in a family where my folks were amazing Christians. I'm a third-generation free Methodist minister. Uh, my dad was a family practice physician and a 33-year member of the Board of Trustees at SPU, so I grew up with that in my 
legacy in my system. But why was, why me? I can't, I can't understand that, and I never will. But somehow, God knew that I needed to be in this other spot. Somehow, it worked out. And it is continuing to work out in miraculous ways for my siblings. Beautiful things are happening. I, I've experienced people that are wonderful. They aren't my brothers and sisters like my family uh, that I grew up in are. But I can see God working. I even had the privilege of leading a niece to the Lord and, and performing her wedding uh, to the entire family. To the entire family. Even to the man whose name is on my birth certificate because my mother was married to him at the time but is not my father. He sat right there. I've known his name my whole life because it was on my birth certificate. I had a chance to give a witness about what is a Christian marriage. Why do we, why do we value scripture? But God's spirit nudged me to continue at a time when I kept second guessing that message. I was nudged to continue to bring God's peace in a place where I was being sent. God sent me to Mary. Now Mary's passed away uh, two, three years ago, but I certainly had an opportunity to meet with her and pray with her and hear her story. And God created me. This is verses 13 through 16, where it talks about, as Victoria read it so perfectly, where God created my innermost parts. God knit me together. God was there at the beginning. My bones weren't hidden. And you know, the presence of God that's truly inescapable, when you think about it, that God was there at the beginning, um, I feel like David, I cannot escape your presence. If God was with us in the beginning when we were being formed, how much more is God with us now on our journey? My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Well, you know what? That's really, really good news for many of us, isn't it? We're not a mistake. We weren't unwanted in the bigger picture, in the scheme of God's plan for us to flourish. We may have had a lot of disappointments in life, and one thing is sure, God is still with us. God gives us courage. God walks with us even when we don't feel it. And notice those words, it was God who knit you together in your mother's womb. I think of Lori over here who knits, and we used to have Dee Tyndall over here who, who knitted, and you will never find me knitting. But... <laughs> But I do understand the idea. It's not relaxing for me. It stresses me out. And it's the opposite of what other people feel. But here you have a, a picture of a seamstress detailing and creating clothing one thread at a time. I and you have been remarkably and wonderfully made. 
God threw away the mold. You've heard that before. And usually when you hear it, it's kind of sarcastic. Like it's a good thing. <laughs> but God threw away the mold and we are totally unique, one of a kind, fashioned with awe-inspiring skill by our creator. Right down to our thumbprint. That's, that's a deep thing. There's no one in history like you. No one with your personality or your innate abilities or your spiritual gifts. No one with the purpose that God has for you. You're God's treasured creation and in God's likeness you were made. God knows you and wants you and God wants to be in relationship. And God does have plans for you. And in verse 17 and 18, we're reminded that, again, these thoughts are too difficult to grasp. But God doesn't just set things aside once he's made them. God has a plan for us to flourish. It may not be a black and white plan. I'm not talking about that. But we're talking about a plan for flourishing, a plan where Things can be good. Things can be positive. Things don't have to stay in the darkness. God is there when we wake up, when we go to sleep. God offers new mercies every day. God plans for you, God's plans for you and I are tailored to who we are individually. And I believe when we bring our gifts to, to the sanctuary, to the congregation, to the community, we all flourish. So in conclusion, does anyone really get you? I think God does. I believe God does. And I believe we forget that too often. God helps us to live out our callings if we are willing and allow ourselves to hear God's voice. When we come together, we must encourage one another. We must praise and worship and trust God with our lives and trust each other with that experience. Now here comes mine. Let's see if, whoops. See this? Can anyone read what it is? Yes. It's a $100 bill. How's that compared to a bag? <laughs> All right, so here's a $100 bill. It's brand new, it's never been used, it's never been folded or torn, it doesn't have any tape on it, and it's not from the Monopoly game. What if I offered it to you, would you take it? Okay. What if I wadded it up and threw it down, would you still want it? Mm-hmm. What if somebody spit on it and it got thrown in a mud puddle? Would you still want it? Yeah. Because you know what? You can still take it to the store and use it. And I'm going to go home and straighten this out right away. This bill has value because of what it is, not because of how it looks or smells or the shape it's in, or what it's been used for. The crisp $100 bill is worth the same amount when you go into the store, the same amount, no matter what it looks like. If it's ugly and old, 
Even if it has a little bit of tape on it, I think you can still take it back. I don't know how many tears it can have. Deb, I see you nodding. Do you know? No. I don't know either. I mean, I, I'm not going to tear it. But we may feel the same way. Stepped on, beat up, kicked around, you may feel dirty, unworthy, useless. But you and I are God's creation. And God will go with us. And God says we matter. Maybe your parents said positive words to you that built you up. Or maybe you did not hear the things you needed to hear to flourish. Maybe they didn't say the words you needed. Maybe you didn't even have uh, a place to call home. Maybe your spouse or your special friend has rejected you verbally, emotionally, physically. Maybe you feel alone and misunderstood. I want to emphasize that we can't let what another human being does or says to us be the thing where we draw conclusions on our worth. We base our worth and our hope and our flourishing on something far higher because you matter to God and God sent Jesus for you and for us. Now, the final slide is my favorite. That is someone's <clears throat> idea of Psalm 139. Can you see how the Spirit and God and everything that's going on is wrapped up and beautiful, exquisite, defining and yet not defining? I wanted to leave that with you because to me, it helps me understand that it's a mystery and yet it's not. So finally, I'd like to read to you from verse, well really I'm going to read to you from a Bible you may not know about. It's called the Passion Bible. And I use it in my devotions. And it's written uh, to help bring a positive way of looking at all that God does for us. I'd like to close with this because it's the prayer I think we all can agree on together. Let's pray.